that is. Um, <laughs> in this weather, it only kind of, you know, it affirms for us in a very helpful way uh, God's continual call for us to California. <laughs> Um, and affirms to us that you all have been called to be right where you're at, being Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora. So thanks for being where God has called you to be <laughs> here. Uh, greetings from your sister church in Santa Ana. Uh, I was talking to Kyle this morning. We were joking, but warmest greetings to you, okay? <laughs> uh, Cross of Grace Santa Ana, man, they, they joyfully send me to be with you today. And we're so grateful for you guys. We thank God for you, for your church for your pastors, and for our shared gospel mission. And I've come to you this morning to encourage you in that mission. And so the, the, the title for the sermon today is The Beautiful Mission of the Church. And here's the goal. The goal is to, to connect the dots between what we see in our text before us today, what we see in Scripture, between the beauty of Christ and the beauty of His church. And, and realize that as we see both of these are right, uh, it will encourage us and inspire us and move us on mission. Um, we have a beautiful mission as a church. You have a beautiful mission as a local church because you reflect the beauty of Christ to the world and simultaneously, as you're doing that, <laughs> you get to welcome the world into the most beautiful place. That is the local church. And so here's my big claim for you today. The best place in Aurora to behold the beauty of God is right here, right now. I, I hope that today you'll be freshly persuaded, freshly convinced, freshly desiring to, to see that born out among you together here. The best place in Aurora to behold the beauty of God is right here, right now. Here's the claim that, that you, Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora, God has designed and he desires and even delights to reveal his glory, his goodness, and yes, his beauty to your neighbors through you as you share the gospel and you welcome your neighbors to belong to Christ and his people. Your church is beautiful because she welcomes the world. She welcomes your neighbors into the very beauty of Christ. This is your mission and it's beautiful. And to spur you on in this, we'll open up God's word to John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. That's John 20, 19 through 23 a passage that's found under the translator heading um, in the ESV version of the text, uh, Jesus appears to the disciples. So open up your, your Bible, your phone browser, your app of choice, whatever you got, to John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, and I will do the rest. And now, without any further ado, let's read God's word together, and then let's pray and ask for his help. The Apostle John writes... On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. These are God's words. Let's pray for God's help. Father, oh Lord, we, we thank you for the word that you've given to us today. We thank you for gathering us to belong to your people. <laughs> Lord, we know that you have created the whole world, all things, so that your son might have a bride. And we thank you that we've been included in this people, the people for your own possession, the people for the praise of your glorious grace. And I, I pray that, Lord, the, the words that are shared today, that you would use them to encourage these friends here. To, to understand, to, to believe, to be freshly persuaded that you have a people in this city that you desire to gather to yourself, to belong to that people, a people from every tribe and nation and tongue here in Aurora that you want to be included in what you're doing here in the world. So Lord, we pray that you would take the words that we have here in John 
and that you would use them to help us to see your Son in the power of your Spirit, that we might be moved and motivated and encouraged to go out from this place and to bring others into this place. For the glory of your name, for the eternal good of the neighbors in Aurora here, and for the joy, the great joy of this church as they participate with you on mission. Lord, we pray all this and ask that you would do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when something is, is beautiful, that is, you know, gripping to us, that is desirable, enjoyable, something so admirable, something is beautiful, we can't help but go and tell. This is typical to our, our human experience. You know, you hear a compelling song, you behold a piece of art, you gaze upon the Rocky Mountain majesty all around you guys that we, we hope to see tomorrow. And what do you do? You, you take a photo of it. You share it with your friends. You can't help but tell others about it when you see something so admirable. And you do this so that you can complete your joy in it. In this way, beauty is outgoing. It just can't keep to itself. It can't stay to itself. Yet with this, though, kind of on the other side of the same coin, beauty also has an, an incoming effect. This is why, you know, museums exist, okay? They open their doors, and what do they say? They say, come and see. Enter inside and behold the beauty of, of the Mona Lisa, right? Uh, take in the works of Van Gogh. Stand in awe before the statue of David. They exist to welcome the world into beauty. And their patrons, uh, when they go and, and behold it, they go out and they tell others about it, that they should come in and do what? Experience the same. And so here's the idea today. This is even truer of the church. The church is kind of like a, a living museum, a living monument, an enshrinement of the beauty of God that simultaneously exists to be welcoming all those who would come into it to see and behold God, even as we've done this morning, but also it's a monument that's not static and fixed because this same monument does what? It goes out into the world to bring those who aren't yet experiencing it into the experience that you guys are sharing in even today. The church is both a go and tell, but also a, a come and see sort of place. Because in the church, we behold the God who is goodness, right? And truth and beauty himself. And we tell others about him so as to complete our joy in him and as we go out and share the good news that our neighbors can enjoy forgiveness and peace and everlasting life with this God, as we do so, we welcome them to enter into that place, that arena, that context, that great living museum that is the church, so that they can share in the joy that we've received to the fullest possible extent. Uh, without this, the going and telling just wouldn't be complete. And so if we see God aright, we'll tell the world of his beauty. If we see the church aright, we'll welcome them into the place above all places that he desires to make his beauty most wonderfully known. And we've been sent out to shine forth the beauty of the Lord of the church. And section 12, paragraph two of the Sovereign Grace Church's statement of faith on the local church, it says this. It says, as an expression of Christ's universal church, the local church, your local church, is the focal point of God's plan to mature his people and save sinners. And so the local church is the very center of God's work in the world. Your local church, Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora, stands at the center of what God is doing to advance his kingdom and to save a people for himself within your city. And he's purposed <laughs> to do this amazing, unbelievable, extraordinary work through ordinary Christians, <laughs> in ordinary churches, via our very ordinary, unimpressive, unpolished, sometimes reluctant or apprehensive, downright stumbling and bumbling evangelism. He wants to do this extraordinary work through our ordinary evangelism. <laughs> it's going to happen in and through that means and that mechanism. The local church, it's the center of God's saving activity in the world, and this is a beautiful thing. Even as we read in the prophet Isaiah, he celebrates. He says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. 
So the church is, is beautiful because she welcomes the world into the very beauty of Christ. And this welcome, this is our mission. This is what we've been given to do. And God has placed us at the very center of the world, coming to know the same beauty that we've beheld. And so now, as the center of God's saving activity in the world, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, it teaches us, it tells us, and inspires us with uh, the reality that we've been given three things uh, in this mission that we've received. One, we've been given a beautiful commission. This is verses 19 through 21. Two, we've been given a beautiful co-laborer, verse 22. And three, a beautiful confidence, verse 23. These are the main points that will guide the rest of our time together. I'll repeat them as we come to them. So if you didn't catch them, they might be on the screen behind me too. And you can see them there or you can listen for them later. But beginning with this, we've been given as a church, you've been given a beautiful commission. We are sent to declare to the world the most beautiful message. And so picking up with the scene in our text, the disciples, they're huddled together, right, on the evening of that first Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday, and they're behind locked doors in the upper room. The 10 apostles, minus Judas, right, and minus Thomas, who for some reason wasn't there, and whoever else has been gathered with them, they're behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. Mary had announced the resurrection to them earlier that day, but they were still gripped with fear because they hadn't yet beheld Jesus. And, and the world outside them, the world outside that locked room to them is a fearful, right, and antagonistic place. The world has just crucified their friend, and their Lord. The world might be out to get them as well. And the disciples, naturally, we can sympathize with this. They want shelter from this hostile world of unbelief and opposition to the truth. And as you look at your world around you today, you might feel the same way sometimes. Wouldn't it be nice to just take shelter, huddle down, stay locked in place from a culture that is increasingly hostile toward everything you hold most dear. So they're in this locked room and into a room, locked to the outside uh, with hearts that are locked up by fear. Jesus, he enters in and he says to them, peace be with you. Peace because your time of sorrow is over. As we read earlier, right, in the, in the, read earlier in the gospel of John, he was with them. And then for a little while, he wasn't. He was away from them. But now he's with them again, just as he promised. Peace, because though the world crucified him, he's overcome the world. Peace, because his work of redemption to bring them true and lasting peace with God is finished. To those who are fearful, Jesus comes and he speaks peace. And Jesus appears to these fearful disciples and he gives them his peace, he proves he's truly been raised from the dead by showing them his wounds, and they rejoice that their Lord has come. But now, far from this resurrection, right, this victory, uh, occasioning the kingdom that they were longing for, now coming in full, right, and them just taking a victory lap and the show's over, no, far from that, <laughs> far from the disciples' just taking a victory lap with Jesus, from being kept from this hostile world which just crucified Christ, Jesus has other plans for them. And he has other plans for us. The risen Christ, the Lord of the living and the dead, he offers the disciples present that day who are representative of all of his people. He offers them a commission. And when someone is raised from the dead in accordance with their own prediction, we do well to listen up, don't we? We should take seriously what he has to say. To the ones who were fearful of the world, he grants his peace, and now he tells them they must go back into the world. And it's like Jesus was miraculously delivered from shark-infested waters, and the disciples saw him go in. They saw the brutality. They saw the crashing of the wave. They saw the blood and guts and all the carnage. And somehow, he's miraculously delivered safe to shore, but he tells them, that they should go into that surf as well. He tells them to go back into those waves he's just emerged from. This commission, it's not an easy commission. 
we need to square with that. It's not easy, it's not optional, but it is beautiful. How is it beautiful? Well, because as, as Jesus tells us in verse 21, it's beautiful because just as the Father sent me, he says, even so I am sending you. And so this naturally begs the question, just how then was Jesus sent? For what purpose and to what end? Well, in, in John's gospel, Jesus says time and time again that he has been sent into the world by the Father. He's been sent to do God's will and to speak God's words, to do God's works, and to announce God's great salvation. And we could dive deep into passage after passage in, in John to explain why Jesus was sent and what he came into the world to do, uh, but for the sake of time, two passages to help us understand what this means. First is familiar. Everybody knows this one. John 3, 14 through 17. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In verse 16, y'all know this one. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might have, or excuse me, might be saved through him. So Jesus, why was he sent into the world? He was sent into the world to save the world, to give life to those who would perish apart from, um, to perish apart from him and would suffer eternal separation from God. In 1 John, a later writing of the apostle, chapter 4, verse 9, it agrees with this. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So building now, in love, the Father sent His Son to give us life. But question, because we got to get to the bottom of this, how would the Son give us life? Well, we read on in verse 10 of 1 John chapter 4. He says this, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus would give us life by giving His life as a propitiation. That is a, a wrath-averting, an atoning sacrifice for our sins, satisfying the payment for the death penalty that we had hanging over our heads, that we deserved that we deserved and received by our breaking of God's law. He would take on our curse of sin. He would give himself as a propitiation and thereby enable God to forgive us without merely looking the other way on our sins. In other words, he was sent to give us life by giving his life so that all who trust in his sacrifice would be saved. Jesus, he was sent into the world uh, for the purpose of his sacrificial work. He gave his life to give life to all who would trust in his sacrifice for their sins. Saving the world was the end to which he was sent. And so now, just the same, saving the world is why Jesus sends you into the world. So how will God accomplish this through you? Well, not by adding to uh, his atoning work in any way, but by announcing it to the world. We are sent to save the world by declaring the beautiful words of Christ's saving work. From the earliest disciples sent out on the day of Pentecost, which would follow this scene in just about 50 days, to every local church that has ever been established, Jesus' people have been sent into place after place, nation after nation, culture after culture, neighborhood after neighborhood, so that the world would be saved through the word of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, to quote author Dustin Benge, is a willing liberator and savior of sinners. A willing liberator and savior. That, continuing to quote Benge, sinners can be rescued from God's wrath against sin through the sacrificial substitutionary death of Jesus Christ upon the cross and his triumphant resurrection from the dead. 
that, me, me breaking in here, the good news that those who had not loved God, but had loved self and idols and darkness, would not perish under judgment, but would and could enter into the joy of life with the good God that they'd rejected. The gospel is that enemies of God who hated God and who challenged their, uh, who hated the God who challenged their self-acclaimed seats as the center of the universe. Sinners who rebelled against his reign, the reign of the only one and true king, could experience peace with him. The good news that those who were always desperately seeking to belong somewhere, to, to earn their place in some form of family or, or society or, or membership that would give them value and identity and esteem would be freely accepted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. <laughs> All of this, this gospel, Benj concludes, he says, oh man, this isn't only good news, it's beautifully good news, isn't it, church? It's beautifully good news. The most beautiful news of all, that there is a way for us to know life and peace with God. The most beautiful and, and wonderful and worthy one that we've all fallen short of and, and scorned and set aside, that he can give us life and joy and peace, that our guilt and shame can be taken away, that we do have a hope that goes beyond the grave, that there is something and someone worth living for that is more than ourselves. I could go on and on, but the point here is that through receiving the beautiful word of the gospel, we come into life with the beautiful God of the gospel. And this is why we're sent, for what purpose we have been sent. And listen, I don't know what everybody in the room today, if you never have before, and you're hearing this now, maybe you've heard it many times before, maybe this is your first time hearing it. If you never have before, today, you can come into life with the beautiful God of the gospel. You can receive God and his gospel today by faith. You can believe that Christ died to, to take away your sin, and he now lives and reigns and offers you new and eternal life with him. Today, if you, if you hear his voice, turn away from seeking life and joy apart from him and find the joy that you were made for, the joy that your soul aches and longs for as you place your trust and come to know and live life together with him and his people. That's his call to you today if you've never received it. And church, this is the call that we have been given to, to send out and to proclaim and to make to your neighbors. God has sent his son, into the world to be the savior of the world, and he sends us into the world to tell the world that they can be saved, that Jesus really is all they need, that he is all they seek, that he is all they truly ache for, that he has done it all. He's done everything that needs to be done to earn and to merit salvation, that they can rest from their striving and earning and just come to receive the finished work of Christ for their salvation. We've been commissioned, not suggested, to carry this message with us wherever we go, right? To carry it into your city, into your neighborhoods, into your places of work, into your homes as you raise and disciple and evangelize your, your children. We've received this beautiful commission to communicate this beautiful news. And as we do so in this first point, two application questions for us to consider before moving on uh, to point number two. First question, we're sent into the world. So ask yourself, what, what's your posture toward the world? Is the world to you a place and a people out there that you fear, as the disciples did that, that Easter Sunday evening? Is the world something you avoid? Well, here's what our text would have us uh, to, to be encouraged in. Don't fear the world, okay? Be in awe of Jesus. Enjoy his church, and engage the world with the unearned, un, uh, uh, excuse me, unearned, initiating, and inviting love of God that we ourselves have received through the gospel. Listen, we know the world hates the truth, but guess what, guys? So did we. We hated it as well. But God, he moved toward us 
and he changed us. And so we have the confidence that because of that, he can do the same in our neighbors as well. So move toward them in love and with hope and don't hunker down in fear. Second question, this is important here on this first, first point. Most basically then, can you articulate the gospel? Evangelism is sharing the gospel. Can you, can you do that? Can you articulate the gospel? This beautiful news that we've just heard about, could you pass it on to others? Benj says here, Dustin Benj, a great quote from him, he says this, that we want to adorn the message of life with a beautiful manner of life, but more than just our walk, our words are necessary to communicate this good news. And so here's the point. We shouldn't neglect a life adorned with gospel beauty, but gospel words are necessary to be faithful in our commission. If you had 30 seconds to a minute, you know, that kind of elevator speech, or two minutes I'll even give you in this hypothetical, where would you start? What would you do? Do you have a framework, a summary? How would you bring somebody in brief into the gospel story? Think about that. How would you relate to them that God, God is and he, he reigns? And that we were created to glorify him and enjoy him forever. But sin happened. And we all, each of us, seek joy in life apart from God in Christ. But that Christ has come to pay our price of death for rejecting the God who is life. And if we or they or whomever we're speaking to would respond in faith and trust in this sacrifice, they can have peace with God. How would you bring somebody into this gospel story? Not like just apologetics here or arguing with people about cultural issues, but how would you bring somebody into the gospel itself and present that good news to them? Not first and foremost being concerned with making a better argument, defending every charge, but focused upon sharing the better news of who Jesus is and what he's done through his life, death, and resurrection. Because apologetics are important and cultural issues are important as well. But listen, at, at, at bottom, your neighbor is going to be saved by the gospel not your defense of the Christian worldview, not your pointing out the logical inconsistencies in their worldview, or you winning an argument about something going on in the present cultural moment. They're going to be saved by you telling them who Jesus is, what he's done, and how they can come to receive every blessing of his finished work. And this brings us to our, our second point, because as we're charged to go share these words, our text tells us that the Holy Spirit will work through these words that we speak to save our neighbors. And it's to that same spirit that we now turn. We've been commissioned to share the beautiful words of the gospel, but this commission, good news for us, is <laughs> not one that we're left to our own devices or resources to accomplish. No, Jesus sends the church out into the world to share the beautiful words of the gospel, and he sends her with the beautifier of the church himself. That is the Holy Spirit. So point number two, in our mission, we've been given a beautiful co-laborer. We've been given a beautiful co-laborer, the beautifier of the church himself, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity with the Father and Son to be worshiped and adored. Look with me at verse 22. It says that, and when he had said this, that is, had given them their commission, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This tells us that we are not left alone or left to ourselves on mission, but we are sent out with this beautiful co-laborer. He makes us beautiful because he makes the church look like Christ within. He bears in us spiritual fruit. He makes this place a place of love and belonging and joy and holiness that is attractive, that is appealing, that is compelling. But he also works in the church as we make the beauty of Christ known without. So the beauty of our life together, it goes hand in hand with our witness to the world and the spirit he works in us so that those who don't yet belong to Christ would see the goodness, right, uh, of belonging to Christ as they see us as they come into your gathering, as they uh, come to one of your small groups, as they see 
you guys being friends together, doing whatever you're doing, they get to see a glimpse of the joy you have in Jesus that the Spirit is, is bearing out in you. And then, as we have opportunity to share the gospel and welcome them uh, into the beauty of life with Christ, through that gospel that we share, the Spirit works to make our witness beautiful and compelling and attractive uh, with those that, we, that we're sharing with. And so he gave us the Spirit, that the beauty of Christ would shine forth from you so that others would be added to you. In verse 22, he promises his people in all places and times that they are not left to their own strength or power or strategies or devices when it comes to carrying out the big commission that we've all received, but that we'd have the power and we'd have the presence of the Holy Spirit to rely upon, to depend upon, to trust in as we press on with the task of reclaiming the gospel and making disciples. And so, jumping back into the text here, we see that after giving his peace and commission to the disciples, Jesus breathes upon them to receive the Spirit. And this is not a, a verse that's without controversy or some scholarly debate. We're not going to get into the, all the weeds there, but here's what I submit to you, okay? This is not the, the conversion of the disciples. This is not, I don't think, their, their born-again moment. Um, they've already been drawn by the Father to Christ. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. Well, here they are. Jesus has already spoken to them in chapter 13 and in chapter 15 that they've already been, what, made clean by his word. Their hearts have been cleansed by faith. So I don't think that up until this point they've been an unsaved, not born-again crew. <laughs> Nor do I think that this is John's kind of stylistic way of giving us the, the Easter Sunday plus the Great Commission plus Pentecost, like all in one verse. You know what I mean? I don't think he's just wrapping it up and telescoping it up so much that we can't separate those events. And he's giving us some stylized retelling here. Well, what I think is happening is that the best understanding of this verse is that Jesus breathes upon them as an anticipation and a foreshadowing of the gift and of the power of the Spirit that is to come. Because earlier in John's gospel, Jesus himself, he says that the Spirit will not come until what? He goes back to his Father, that he won't send the Spirit until he has ascended and been exalted. And so I don't think this is the, that full Pentecost, you know, reception of the Spirit and all his power, but it's an anticipation. It's a foreshadowing of the way in which the Spirit would come to the disciples then and to all the disciples thereafter. And so in this way, Jesus is, is signaling to them and to all future disciples that they are not entering into a hostile world apart from his presence and his power going with them. The task of saving the world, it will succeed because God himself, church, will see to it through his spirit working in and through his people. That's our confidence that our evangelism can succeed, can be successful because God is in it and God is with us and God is working to do what we cannot do. We have been caught up in God's own mission to possess a people to the praise of his glorious grace, a mission in which the Father who sent the Son, who accomplished our salvation and that was then applied to us by the Spirit, that Spirit then now comes and he empowers our proclamation, our sharing of that saving message and he applies it to the human heart of the one who is hearing it. To save a people for the glory of the triune God. It's God's mission, and we are His instruments. The Spirit's the power behind it all. So Jesus is powerfully working in and through you as you go into the world to welcome them into the beauty of Christ. According to the promise of Jesus in the Gospels, he, he, he tells us that the Spirit would come, and now for us, the Spirit has come to spur on our mission as he does a couple of things. And we'll try to be brief here, but I'll give you some verses that you can look up during the week to read a little bit further. But he comes to first to enlighten our own minds to the truth of the Gospel. He is the Spirit of truth who guides us into all truth, who guides you into all truth as you celebrate the Gospel together every Sunday and causes the word of Christ to dwell more richly in you. This is John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. He enlightens our minds to the truth of the gospel. He also empowers our gospel witness 
by providing, we read this in the book of Acts, left and right, boldness and, and power and wisdom. Even the words we need to speak in a given moment, the Spirit says, don't worry about what you'll say. Trust in me. I'll give you what you need in those moments where you have those opportunities. We see this in John chapter 15, verse 26 through 27. We see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And finally, the Spirit who enlightens our own minds, who empowers our witness, He then effectively, powerfully, in the way that God works, right, through our gospel witness, to work upon the hearts of those who hear our words. He comes to convict the world of sin. He comes to cause men and women to be born again, and He effectually calls them from death to life through our proclamation of the gospel. This is John chapter 16, verses 18 through 11, and John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. These are the kinds of things that He has promised to do in us and through us as we depend on Him and rely on Him and trust in Him upon mission. And listen, I could, I could cite verse after verse describing the, the Spirit's extraordinary work through our ordinary evangelism. <laughs> okay, but the upshot is clear. You can't fill, fulfill this commission in your own power. <laughs> you just can't do it. All our willpower, all our striving, all our energy in the world can't do what the Spirit can do. We need to trust in Him and His faithfulness to save, and not our ability, not our argumentation, not our strategies. We need to trust in the power of the Spirit. The church needs the Spirit to work in and through her gospel witness in order for sinners to be saved. So don't try to do His work for Him. <laughs> Um, let him do his work and trust that he'll do what only he can do. And, and secondly, for the individual believer, right? For you hearing this, the wonderful truth of our beautiful co-laborer, the beautiful, as John says in other places, the beautiful comforter of our souls. It should be a comfort to us as well, right? As we deal with our own feelings of inadequacy when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. And we all struggle with that. We all fear what will happen how will we received or perceived, if we'll have the right things to say, if we'll be rejected, if we know enough, what if they ask me about this, right? We all have that potential struggle, that challenge of feeling inadequate. How can I take this message and share it with somebody else? Look at my life. Look at my sin. Look at my struggling. How can someone like me take this to anyone else? But Jesus says, the Spirit is with you. Be comforted, even in that experience of your own inadequacy. Okay, he's with you. Because here's the deal. Many of us agree, right? We agree that the church is God's instrument in saving the world, not controversial. We acknowledge that it's not an option whether we share the gospel or not. And we truly believe that Romans 1.16, the gospel is God's power to save, but we often refrain from, from sharing it because we feel inadequate in doing so. We fear we'll get something wrong, mess something up. We'll have an answer to all the questions that we are asked. But whatever we don't have, guess what we do have? We have the Spirit. We have the Spirit. The same Spirit who has worked in us to open our own eyes to the truth of the gospel. He's always leading us into greater and greater knowledge of that truth. He is the same Spirit who empowers us to bear witness to the gospel and who effectively works upon the hearts of those who hear. And so it's our commission to faithfully announce the gospel and then just trust in the Spirit to do His work. He works through that word to convict the world of sin, to change hearts, and to create faith in those who hear. And so the Lord's main concern with our evangelism is not the polish of our presentation, but in our faithfulness to trust Him to work through His Word. It's His faithfulness to save, and our success is not based upon the outcomes or results, actually. Our success is based upon our faithfulness to share that message and trust in the Spirit to do what only He can do. And if it's rejected, Jesus says, well, you're blessed, right? Blessed are those who reject you and ridicule you and persecute you. If you plant a seed that sprouts later, praise God. And if someone hears and believes, joy. We can't fail if we are faithful. So would we be faithful to trust in the Spirit to do what He can do and only He can do and share these words in that confidence? And so now, having received a beautiful commission from Jesus um, as well as having received a beautiful co-laborer, the Spirit, Jesus sends us forth with the assurance now 
that our gospel welcome to the world will really work. That is, that in truth, redeemed sinners like us who have received a task that is truthfully impossible for us in our own power, we really do have the authority and the empowerment to offer the word of life to a world, to the world rather, and to trust that God is saving people through us. And this brings us to our third and final point. As the church, we've been given a beautiful confidence. A beautiful confidence. This is verse 23. We have been given a beautiful confidence so that the church, so that your church, would be the beautiful place in which sinners would receive the blessed assurance that they really do belong to God. And so now, having received the beautiful news of the gospel and the promise of the beautifier to come, Jesus gives his disciples the confidence that those that they welcome through the proclamation of the gospel have truly been welcomed by God himself. In this, we behold that the church is a beautiful place because in it the sinners can receive assurance that they really do belong to God. He tells his disciples then as representatives representatives of the whole new covenant community that has been formed in and through Jesus, that, verse 23, he says to them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And now, this authority that they have is not an authority that they possess in and of themselves to forgive sins. Only God can do that, right? <laughs> Nor do I think it's the establishment here of a special class of priests, like you might see in the, the Roman Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church, who have the authority to declare someone forgiven through their administration of the sacraments and through their office. It's nothing like that. I'm arguing here that this promise is not given to a special group of people. Even the apostles who were there in the hearing of these words that day, though, they, yes, they're different than us. We are not apostles like them. They spoke in, and, and wrote with authority of the Lord in a way that we don't today. <laughs> but the authority that's here referenced is an authority that applies to the whole church as we're all sent on mission so that all of us can have a confidence as we go about this, this task. And so this passage, to help us kind of understand it a little bit further, it's similar to the passages like you see in Matthew 16, verse 19, 18, verse 18, in which Christ refers to the keys of the kingdom right, that have been given to the church. Parallel to the church forgiving or withholding forgiveness, those passages in Matthew, they refer to the church as, as binding or loosing with the expectation that whatever they bind or loose on earth, the same has been bound or loosed in heaven. So there's an on earth, so it is in heaven kind of reality, this mirroring effect. And the keys of the church, they refer to the church's authority broadly to do two things. One is to unlock the door to the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel. So in other words, we're authorized as the church to tell the world that they can have life and peace with God. We can open wide the door and let them into the kingdom as they share the gospel and receive it. We can welcome the world. We've been given God's authority to represent him in that way in so welcoming the world. Second idea with the, the keys is, is church discipline. That is, the church has the authority to remove all those who are not living in accord with the gospel from among her membership. The local church has the authority and obligation to withhold forgiveness for those who continue in unrepentant sin and to put them out of the church um, in the hopes of offering restoration, uh, offering to then loose the charges upon that person and welcome that repentant person back into our fellowship. So the church can open the doors and the church can close the doors. These are the ideas of the keys. Um, but really here for us today, it's the first of these two functions we're going to dwell upon, <laughs> focusing less upon who we might be keeping out and emphasizing that in God's grace, sinners like us are able to let other sinners in. That's what we're going to be focusing on. And so Jesus wanted this ragtag group of fearful disciples back then in the first century, he wanted them to know that they could confidently address the world, declare that God would judge their sin, but also then offer a sure way of life and peace to all those who would receive it. They can go out and they can say, the Lord has said there is judgment. The Lord has said there will be perishing. The Lord has said, if you don't turn, there will be separation from him. But we can confidently tell you today that if you do, you can enter into to life. He tells the 10 and whoever else was gathered with them that they, 
not the Jerusalem establishment back then, not the professionals, not the powerful, but they could confidently offer the promises of eternal life to any who would believe. He tells that ragtag group of disciples then, and he tells <laughs> any ragtag group, you ragtag group of disciples here, ordinary, unimpressive Christians here in Aurora today, he tells you that you can extend my welcome through my son to the world. You can do this. You can share the gospel. You can baptize new believers. You can partake in the Lord's Supper, and you can invite your neighbors to belong to me and my people, both now and forever. You can extend this welcome. Ordinary, unimpressive, non-professional, redeemed sinners can confidently extend this welcome to all who would embrace it. Wow. The local church as she gathers and proclaims the gospel and scatters to share the gospel, is the only place on earth where somebody could come and truly be assured that they have peace with the God of heaven. There's no other place under the sun that is like the church. No other body, no other people can go out in that confidence and say, hey, we can give you the way to life. We can honestly tell you that if you would receive these things, God has received you. You can enter into his assurance. You can enter into his blessed belonging here now on earth, and so it will be in heaven. That's amazing. We get to do that. We have that confidence. We have that authority to walk in. And in this way, the church is like heaven's embassy here on earth, right? We know how embassies work. They're the representation of, of the, the, the rule um, in the presence of one you know, nation into a foreign context. The church is God's reign and rule breaking in you know, the here and now. And those who enter into this embassy, like those who might enter into, you know, an American embassy in a foreign nation, they receive all the blessings, right? All the benefits, all the protections of belonging to that nation that are afforded to a citizen of that nation. To be received by or in the American embassy is to be received by America herself. Similarly, to be received by the church on earth is to be received by the very God of heaven. The church is an outpost. It's a refuge. It's a rescue center upon the earth through which God extends his welcome to all those who would become citizens of heaven by faith. This is who you are. And this is what you're welcoming your neighbors into as you go and tell the gospel and then say, come and see. There's a place I want you to, to, to be with me. The church, it's the visible expression of the invisible God's welcome through the person and work of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful place that is. What a beautiful place this is. And the question that should begin to resound in our minds is, how can we not then invite our friends and our families and our neighbors to come into the church to behold the beauty of our God and live in the beauty of his people? Be encouraged, be excited, be eager to welcome your neighbors into what you get to experience here. And so as we go and apply this text and I wrap up here, two final questions for you. Number one, as God prepares us to be scattered out into the world, are you yourself, ask yourself, going out into the world? You've heard what we've heard today. You might sympathize with how the disciples felt at the beginning of the narrative. They're locked in the room full of fear, but Jesus says, I've given you all this. You have my peace, you have my power, you have my promise that you can do this. So are you going out into the world? We're authorized to go out and to do this, but we can't go do this unless we engage the world. No one's going to come in unless we go out. And so ask yourself, are you spending much time or any time at all with non-believers? Do you have somebody right now you could go, well, I could strike up a spiritual conversation and maybe share the gospel. Or are you going, actually, I look around in my life and I don't know where to start. And if that's you, that, that, that's okay. Pray to God, ask for opportunities, and be of the mind that he can use you in any time or any place to connect to somebody, to take a genuine interest in someone else, to have a normal conversation that turns into a spiritual conversation. Let the Great Commission filter down into the daily living of your life so that no person or no place that you might be is written off or off the table for God to work in these extraordinary ways, okay? That's number one. Go out into the world, and if you aren't already, find unbelievers, find non-Christians, and befriend them. Cultivate relationships with them. Get to know them so that you might be able to talk about the gospel. And number two, ask yourself, the church we've seen here 
is an inviting place. So are you inviting others into your life in any kind of way that they might behold the beauty of Christ? Certainly, yes, inviting someone to church on a Sunday, but for some folks who are not yet believers, that might be a tall order, right? That might be a big step to come straight into the church. So could you maybe start with inviting someone to lunch, right, to get to know you? Maybe inviting someone to one of your small groups or community groups. Maybe even you do something that's not a, you know, a church-sanctioned activity. And when it's not so cold outside, you do something outside. Or you do something inside and you play games, right? But where can you begin to connect unbelievers, non-Christians in your life, so that they might see Christians gathered, that they might get a glimpse, that they might get a reflection of the joy that you guys have, of the beauty of what it's like to belong to Jesus. How can you, as you enter into this new year, be increasingly inviting to those who aren't yet in, that they would see how good it is to belong, ask questions about how they might belong, and then come, maybe even one day, to join you here on on Sunday morning. How can you be more inviting of those who are not yet a part of you? And so, as we close here, let's hear from the Apostle John one more time, and then I'll pray for you. I leave you with his words in the book of Revelation, where he says this, The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, come. Would you, Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora, the bride of Christ, together with the Spirit, invite your neighbors to enter life with God? Would you call them to salvation with the beautiful words of the gospel, empowered by the beautifier who is the Spirit, in order that they'd come to believe in Christ and belong to his people and enter into the most beautiful place, the church? Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray that you would take the words that you've given to us today and that you would use them to light a fire and to inflame our hearts, that you would give us fresh amazement in who you are and what you've done, that you would give us fresh confidence, not in ourselves, but in the power of your spirit. And Lord, fresh faith that as we go out to make this offer and to extend this welcome, that you are with us in it, that you are working through it, and that you delight to use us to add more and more people to your family. Lord, would you bless Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora. Would you bless them as they live together and cause the joy that they have in you and in your son to be overflowing and spilling out from them to their neighbors, for their neighbor's good, for the glory of your name, and for the good of their souls. We ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. So we're going to sing together. About the one who gives us the confidence, the motivation, the inspiration to go do this. Amen. <laughs>